This is our fourth and final week in our Undivided series, looking at unity in the, in the church. Uh, Pete launched a series three weeks ago, looking at one body, one spirit. As you are regenerated, you're newborn by the Holy Spirit, you belong to Christ now. You're born into one body, one family, one temple together. We are his people together and therefore united by him in the first place, right from the very start. And then following through from that, we did some, we did some more kind of practical outworking of that. Uh, David looked at one anothering, loving one another in so many different ways, what that looks like a couple of weeks ago. And last week, John opened up the subject of hospitality, which isn't just about opening up our homes. It's more importantly about opening up our hearts, which then affects how we use our homes and so on. It's about having hospitable hearts, isn't it? Because of the hospitable God who has opened up his and made us a home. It's all gospel stuff, isn't it? And throughout, we've been learning how this, this works as a natural progression from having spent seven weeks looking at Holy Spirit, as we've done since Easter, um, uh, understanding Holy Spirit's work in us and through us, we then realize that the church, therefore, has the opportunity to be the most diverse and yet most united bunch of people on the planet. Um, that's what unity is all about. Unity is not about uniformity, looking the same. Uniformity is about looking the same, acting the same, sounding the same, and so on. That's uniformity. That's everyone being the same in terms of how we look and act and the outworking. That's uniformity. Um, unity is about working together, yet, well, whilst being a diverse, different bunch of people. Yet, unity is about knowing our equality and worth, not all having the same roles and all just being a beige, bland blob, if that makes sense. Yet, we are equal in worth. We're equally saved, and yet we're working together in the same direction for the same vision, Jesus, and yet remaining different, yet remaining wildly different in God-ordained ways. You look at our upbringings, just between us, even just here with half the church missing because it's summer. Even here amongst us here, we've got our wildly different upbringings, our giftings, our ethnicities, our opportunities, our experiences, our ages, our abilities. They're all different in very, very different ways. And these are things that God loves about us and that he's glorified by. And yet, as we work together as one for his glory, there is unity. That's what it's about. And so today, just to end this little series before we start doing something different, uh, I've just called today Dissolving the Divides. Dissolving the Divides. Because even we, the church, inevitably, we don't always get it right, do we? And sometimes... We discover that our own biases, our own prejudices, or our personal sense of justice, and so on, can often get in the way of what God is doing. What happens? We're human. Now, right from the start, hear me out, please hear this. Uh, we are not preaching this series because we are seeing major factions or divisions em emerging in the church or anything like that. We need to speak on this, we need to deal with this. It's not what we're seeing. Uh, you are a very loving and accepting bunch. It's just that coming from seven weeks of looking at Holy Spirit, who he is, what he does... Here is a perfect opportunity to simply perform a health check for us as a body of people, uh, just to ensure that we continue to grow as we continue to grow. And as more people join us, again, from wildly different backgrounds, that we continue to let Holy Spirit and the work of Jesus on the cross dictate our posture and our actions. Let's just do an MOT just to be sure there's nothing that needs tweaking. Amen? Um, so please hear that. This is an encouragement. This is not a turning off. Okay, please just hear that. Oh, I don't want my keyboard up. Stop it. Anything could happen. Um, just let me repeat. The church has the opportunity to be and is intended to be 
the most diverse and yet united family of people on the planet. I mean, you can look at it another way. You look at other faiths around the world. Um, if we put their, put their origins alongside, we could talk about those another time, their founders and, and their footings and so on. Just put that to one side about how those faiths come about. Just look at how they present themselves and what their, what their heart is, what their focal points are. They're, they tend to be based on geography or bloodline and often language as well. Um, let's look at the bloodline, for example. Um, Judaism, Hinduism, faiths like that. Um, they are culturally rooted in a bloodline. You are born into it. And while people can convert in, it's your ancestry, your ethnicity, that is the primary entry ticket for the majority of people. You're born into it. You're born in that race, born in that bloodline. Therefore, you are a Jew or you are a Hindu and so on. It's about um, bloodlines, about ancestry, genealogy. And yet when it comes to geography, they look at the likes of Islam or Buddhism or Mormonism and so on. They all have a regional focus around the world. They tend to... Tend to be, be, um, a, a, there's a geographical centre, a region to a part of the world where that, that is pri a primary. Uh, or even they have very specific sites for their headquarters or their kind of sacred hotspots, if you like, don't they? They're geographical. And yet when it comes to language as well, faiths like Islam and Judaism, they have a sacred language for prayer and worship. This is, this is the holy language you pray and you worship in, not another language. And yet Christianity as a faith, in contrast, by core principle, is open to anyone and everyone. The invite is for everyone to come in and join the journey of following Jesus. And there is no being in without converting in the first place. That doesn't happen. You're not born a Christian. It's impossible. Some people think that's the case. Not true. You were born by Holy Spirit. You're not born because according to your bloodline, your family, where your parents are. You don't inherit someone else's faith in the Christian faith. So it's not about bloodline. And it's Christianity as a faith is so far flung across the world that is, there is no single continent or region or site that can indisputably claim to be the centre of global evangelical Christianity. There is no such thing. It's not geographical, it's just everywhere. And I love it. There is weight sometimes towards Western Hemisphere and Southern Hemisphere, and it's leaning certain ways at the moment because of the explosion of Christianity in South America and Africa. It's, but it's still a global thing. There's no, oh, Christianity is more of a North American thing or a South Asian thing. It's just everywhere, and I love it. And even language. Jesus taught his people, us, to pray. And in, even in the Bible, you see, he taught them to pray in their own common, everyday language. There's no holy, sacred language for worship you have to use. Just your primary everyday language. So the Church of Jesus Christ is a global family of people from every imaginable background who are able to live out their everyday normal lives themselves as their very act of worship, where the only focal point of person or place is Jesus residing in us. I love that. So while becoming a follower of Jesus is utterly exclusive, he is the only way to the Father, the means of salvation, as a result, we end up with the most inclusive community of people on the planet. So, you'd think, therefore, that Christianity would be a wonderfully diverse family to dwell among, right? You'd think that's the case. On paper, it absolutely is, as I just explained, and often experientially, it really is. It really is. But in practice, because we're human, we can still be prone to frustrations, or disappointments, or outright offence amongst each other. Sometimes that's because of genuine hurt by genuinely 
hurtful behaviour by other people and that needs to be addressed. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes it's because we're getting offended when we shouldn't be. Sometimes we can be choosing to be, can't we? It's happened throughout history. It's not a new thing, it's not an old thing. Just because we're human. As I've said before many times, the wonderful thing about church is it's made up of people. The downside of church is it's made up of people. We can just even unconsciously, we can get good at being cliquey, can't we? Getting in our little groups and consciously, unconsciously it happens. Does anyone know the, the most trusted people exercise? Has anyone heard of this? I don't know if Bev knows this one. Um, it's easy when you've got a piece of paper and you write down ten names and then you, you, you describe them. Uh, just think, just for now, just let faces come to mind of people. Who do you trust the most? Who do you go to for advice or counsel? Outside of your Outside of your birth or adoptive family, outside of your immediate family, who are the people you go to for advice, for counsel? Who do you feel safe to um, seek wisdom from? And who do you trust the most for things you need to share? Who are those people? Let those faces come to mind for a minute. And then looking at those people, start working out what, out of those people, those faces I've got, what's their gender? What's their age? What's their ethnicity, their nationality? What's their economic situation? Start thinking about that, you start to realise that the, the big trend, most often, is that they are people who are very similar to you. Is that the case? Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? We tend to trust people who are like us. It's a safety thing. I get it. And so even we don't want to be, and inadvertently or innocently, we can still become a bit tribal. We don't even realise we're doing it sometimes. In the uh, first century AD, it was definitely happening <laughs> in the early church. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. He wouldn't have written that if he didn't have to. It was already happening. What was happening is because they've been quarrelling between them. It's local church. They've been quarrelling between them about who their favourite leader was and they were, who they affiliated with most. Some of that would have been innocent. Some of that would have been not so. And he had to call it out. What are you doing? You're creating factions between you. You're going tribal. And that has continued throughout history. There have been divisions, fractures in the church between individuals uh, or between groups of people within local churches, across whole movements and between movements as well. It's just, it's nothing new. Um, sometimes it's over core doctrine. Sometimes it, there needs to be a parting of ways for the health of the church. Like Pete was saying a few weeks ago about, do you remember what was, things that are written in pencil, things that are written in ink, things that are written in blood. Do you remember this? Um, things that are written in pencil are just things we can agree to disagree on. That's fine. We all have uh, different understandings or, or personal uh, opinions and so on. We just agree to disagree. Um, there's some of the things that are just differences. So the things like um, things that are written in ink are definitely things to agree to disagree, but we might just hold a bit closer to home. Like our particular understanding of baptism is for adult believers who have professed a faith in Jesus Christ. It's not for children and so on. Uh, there are other churches that, that believe that. We're not going to fall out with them. We just agree to disagree. Uh, you know, gifts of the Holy Spirit and so on, those are things we hold very dearly. It's written in ink, but we wouldn't part ways with someone. We just worship differently within our local body, if that makes sense. But then there are things that are re um, written in blood, is how we could describe it. 
um, things where we realise people are not preaching God's revealed truth and we need to part ways for the sake of clarity in church health. We were singing the creed earlier, believe in God our Father. It's stuff about the Trinity, um, those creedal statements about Jesus, about his deity and his resurrection. If someone has another belief about that, we need to not share a platform. We can't worship with them. It's different. Um, but within the local church, where we are here are in agreement on the things written in blood. That's why we are a church here together. We are gathered around those same core values, but therefore we are called to ensure that we operate as one body in love and in truth and in grace, right? That if we are spiritually, through Jesus, born into a new family, then we are now united with people actually who turn out to be radically unlike us. And he has called us to not play it safe, to not play it comfortably, but to grow together for him as a result. So then the question we need to ask is, how do we do that? How can we truly live in unity? The key is it's rooted in our shared uh, identity and our shared purpose. It comes right down to the core heart of it all. In Galatians chapter 3, like I said, we're going to read from verse 23 in a sec. Um, uh, the church in Galatia is what we would now call central, north-central, modern Turkey. That's where, where it was. Um, and this church, again, back in the first century AD, this early church, they were falling into division. And what they were doing, they were um, coming to disagreement over the old rules and the Jewish laws, rules and regulations that Jesus had fulfilled and done away with on our behalf. Um, some of the, the, the Jewish Jewish followers of Jesus were saying to the non-Jew followers of Jesus, you've got to do all the Jewish rituals to be a proper Christian. Like us, you've got to be like us, and you've got to do this, and you've got to do that. And uh, again, they were going tribal. They were finding allegiances and distancing themselves from others within the same local church. And Paul is like, I've got to speak into this. And he gets straight to the heart of the issue. It's not just stop doing that, that's naughty, and here's why. He just goes straight to the heart of what they share. Let's look at verse 23. Remember, he's talking to Jews and non-Jews who are now following Christ. And he says, verse 23, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. He said, all of you have now put on Christ. All of you are now in the same place. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. He's saying even the non-Jews now get the same promises as the Jews through Abraham. God's great promises over you are now for all of you. All of you, Jew or otherwise, share the same inheritance in Jesus. Straight away, he's targeting Jesus as the center of our very existence now. And that, therefore, affects us vertically and horizontally. It affects us with our vertical unity with God himself. And as a result, affects our horizontal unity with each other. We need to look at each other in a whole new light. So let's just look at those two, two aspects those two dimensions. Let's look at the vertical unity and then we'll look at the horizontal unity with each other before I come to some practicals at the end. Uh, a vertical unity with the divine. Verse 26. Uh, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Straight away, in Christ, all of you. This is how you're saved. 
not by doing stuff, not by rules and rituals, it's in Christ. That's where it starts and where it ends. We are all saved, he's saying, by the same person. No one is born into it. No one other than Jesus has earned it. I love how uh, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, that same passage backs this up. In verse 12 of John chapter 1, John says, But to all who did receive him, Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. They are sons of God, same again. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Not blood that does it, not ritual that does it, no bloodline, no geography, no language, no ritual that you do or someone else does for you. None of that saves you. It's Christ alone. And all of you share that very same thing. None of you have earned a jot of this. We are all equally saved by Jesus alone to the same unlimited, infinite, everlasting degree. We all share that. So he says, in Christ, you are all sons of God. Whatever your ethnicity, whatever your sex, all of us, there are no tears to Christianity, as Pete was pointing out a few weeks ago. There's no second-class Christians. There's no people who are a bit Christian. You either are or you aren't. We may be living differently and not living in an honourable way for God. doesn't mean you're a second-class Christian. You've just got some heart surgery to do. It's different. But your standing in him is exactly the same. So we as believers are all equally united with God himself. None of us has earned that. Uh, none of us can say that they worked harder for it. None of us can think they deserve it more. None of us can think we've received anything less either. In Christ, you are as equally loved and protected and considered and cherished as your brothers and sisters that are sitting around you right now. All the ones you like and all the ones you like a bit less. We're human. And that's the thing. We're not called to like one another. It's a good thing. We're not called to like one another. We're called to love one another. Like is a feeling. Feelings come and go. We're called to love one another. Like is a feeling. Love is an action. That's the key to all this. Straight away, Paul is focusing on what we share, who we are, the way in which we are fundamentally alike, before we even look at our differences. Looking at where we're fundamentally alike, he's saying, start there, always remember that. You're all in Christ and you're all his kids. Before you go any further. I love uh, Rich Velodis, he's a, uh, a pastor in New York. Uh, he says, the cross of Christ isn't just a bridge that gets us to God. It's a sledgehammer that breaks down walls that separate us. Isn't that rich? The cross of Christ isn't just a bridge that gets us to God. It's a sledgehammer that breaks down walls that separate us. See, divisions are dissolved not by deciding to ignore them. Sometimes we need to address them. We need to do some work. But any divides that do exist in the church, they are ultimately always dissolved at the root by cherishing what unites us in the first place, Jesus. And so looking at the person who gets up your nose or the person who has offended you, or the person who is simply just so unlike you, you just don't click. That's real. We're all human. But then it's about seeing them as someone who Jesus loved so dearly that he gave of himself for them just as much as he did for you. That changes everything. Knowing what we share in Christ eclipses all our differences. Doesn't ignore our differences, doesn't dismiss them, 
Our differences are to be valued. We'll talk about that in a minute. But knowing what we share in Christ should eclipse, should eclipse our differences. There's a, uh, a film that's just come out in the cinema. It's out now called Elemental um, by Pixar. They did Toy Story and, uh, and all those films. Um, Finding Nemo and all that. There's a new one called Elemental. Where it's about Element City where there's four types of people who live there. They're all made up of the elements. There's the fire people, the water, the fire people. They're just like flames with faces. And uh, it's one for the kids. Take the kids. They'll love it. Uh, there's the water people. Blobs of water with arms and mouths. Uh, there's the air people, they look like big fluffy clouds. And there's the earth people, they're like clumps of soil with trees coming out of their head. Um, but they all live separately because as people move in, they experience xenophobia, racism from the people unlike them because they're, they're, they're not the same. And the people get rejected and they end up um, in their own neighborhoods with their own people who are like them where they feel safe. And so now this element city is divided into four quarters with fences between them. That's your place and that's our place. Until this young girl, one of the fire people called Ember, see what they did there, uh, through a plumbing accident, she gets meet, to meet one of the water people called Wade. See what they did there? <laughs> and over time, these two start to realize what they share is more important than their differences and it starts to break down the barriers in the city. No spoilers, you can see where it's going. But... That's what, they, that's what this is all about. They start to recognize that what they do share is eclipses their differences. And in Christ, what we share eclipses what is different between us. And that should therefore affect our actions. It's not about liking one another, it's about loving one another. And the more you love someone, you start to like them. So that's why Paul talks about the vertical unity first and foremost. Remember what you've got in Christ. And therefore, he then approaches it to our horizontal unity with one another. It immediately translates to the horizontal plane. Because then he goes, verse 27, on the back of that, about what we all share in Christ, he then goes, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. He's using the same, um, just to reinforce the fact that our, we are equally valued by Christ and therefore we should appreciate that your brother and sister is as valued by him and therefore I should value the, the same. And now the, these verses, they get used um, uh, to talk about male and female have the same calling and the same roles. It's not, it's not talking about what we do. It's talking about who we are. It's not getting rid of differences. Oh, you're no longer female now. You're no longer African. You're no longer Jew not saying that at all he's not saying you're, you don't have an ethnicity anymore he's talking about who we are not what we do and how we live out our lives he's not dismissing the reality of our human makeup instead he's reinforcing how much Jesus values us values us all equally regardless of our lineage or our station or our sex and so on so let's look at these um, it says there is neither Jew nor Greek because remember they were getting divided according to their ethnicity oh you're not a Jewish convert you're a Greek convert you've got to do some Jewish stuff that's what they were doing. Paul is not saying there's no such thing as Jew or Greek. You still have an ethnic lineage. And you, you, your DNA hasn't changed. But he's saying neither is superior or inferior to the other. God loves diversity, doesn't he? Revelation chapter 7. This, can you have that one on the screen? Revelation chapter 7. Thank you, Paul. And verse 9, there's John having the vision of the coming age. 
of God's people together. And John says, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now, to John, he's looking and he can see straight away they're from every nation, from every tribe and people, speaking in different languages. He can see they're all wildly different. God has not made them all beige. He can see they're all different, and yet he can also see they're all dressed in pure white robes. You see, there is still the diversity, but they are all united in Christ. It's right there, it's blatant. I love that picture. And so to say to someone, oh, I'm, I'm colorblind, I don't, see, I don't see a person's color. I've heard people say that before. I'm colorblind, I don't see someone's race, I don't see color. Well, that bears, that bears good intentions, but what it does, it dismisses the beauty of the gospel that we are not uniformly the same, but together, no matter our background, our ethnicity, our bloodline, wherever it is, together we are a beautiful masterpiece. Let's celebrate different cultures. Let's celebrate ethnicity. Let's learn from each other. It's great. John can see they're radically different, but they are, while diverse, they share equal worth, and they're all equally saved in Christ. I love that. It's a beautiful picture. God loves ethnicity. And then he goes, uh, Paul goes on to say there is neither slave nor free. Now, looking at it through a modern lens, we may think that's not relevant anymore. Well, um, in many ways, um, I mean, slavery still exists now to even more horrendous numbers. It's just, it's got a different flavor to it now. Sex trafficking, human trafficking, it's awful in the millions. But in many ways, Paul here is also referring to a, a, a range of different employment dynamics at the time. Um, some of those are outright what we would call slavery. Some of those are more an employer-employee kind of dynamic, just, again, different flavor to what we're used to these days. It's always about power. Someone's a master, someone's a slave. Uh, whether that's a soft version of the context or, or an outright what we would call slavery. But even in situations that were more explicit, um, as it sounds, throughout history, Christianity's influence has meant that slavery has been gradually eroded in its moral acceptance. And so today, while it still exists, it doesn't exist as a socially acceptable legal power dynamic anymore. That's now, that, that's now gone. But Paul here, either way, whichever context of this he's talking into, he's quick to insist that within the church, no one is a second-class citizen because they're a slave, because they're an employee, whatever. Regardless of your social status, your background, your job, you have equal value with your brother who is a CEO or a slave master, wherever it might be. There's a lovely little letter, and if you've read it, called Philemon, uh, towards the end of the Bible. Strangely enough, just the way it works out, we're going to be looking at that over two Sundays at the end of this month. Right, Andy? We're going to do some little letters. Little letters, big truths. And we're going to look at Philemon, where Paul tells Philemon, the guy he's writing to, um, he's a master, and he has Onesimus, is one of his slaves, who has now come to faith as well. They're both believers. So Paul is telling Philemon to receive Onesimus as a brother and pointing to their oneness in Christ together. What it actually leads to, we learn, uh, it led to uh, Onesimus later being released and he ended up becoming the bishop of Ephesus. Uh, but that's through Philemon, his master, recognizing this is my brother in Christ. I need to now treat him differently. Suddenly changes things once they realize what they share in Christ eclipses their differences. And so for us today, your social status, your 
background, your job situation, how many people are responsible for you or how many people you are responsible for, whether that's at work, whether that's in the home, whether it's in the church as well. None of these things make a jot of difference to your value as a child of God. And also, therefore, it makes not a jot of difference to the value of the people around you in the church family as well. We need to look at each other through this same lens, don't we? No one is more or less valuable. And then Paul finishes, uh, he just does three pairs here. He talks about there is neither male nor female. Um, again, he's not dismissing, he says you're not female anymore. He loves us being different. But in that ancient culture, women were considered inferior. That was the general trend across those cultures at the time, 2,000 years ago. And so in, uh, Paul, again, he's insisting a recognition of every believer's equal worth in Christ, regardless of your sex. He's saying if, if you're saved... All of Jesus' promises for his people apply for you, whether you're male or whether you're female. So regardless of our sex, Jesus, he'd already broke, Jesus had started it, he'd already broken down any notion of differing worth between us because in a culture that demeaned women, Jesus um, publicly taught them, counseled women, consoled women, yeah, openly on the street. He shouldn't have been doing that as a man. But he broke that cultural boundary, brought down that barrier. He raised women up to be his primary witnesses to his rising from the dead. And later on, he raises women up as prophets in his church and core pillars in his church. Jesus broke down that barrier. Equal worth. Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit pours upon God's people, male and female, and they all start speaking in tongues and the church is born. Peter points out it's, a, it's, a, um, it's an outworking of Joel's prophecy that God had said, even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. We all have equal worth and equal opportunity to work for God's purposes, filled with the Holy Spirit. There is no tear to Christianity. Now, like I say, this is talking about uh, who we are, not what we do. So sometimes roles are different in terms of uh, what it means to be a man or a woman in the church. That's what we believe here at Beacon Church. We just have different roles. That's all it is. No one's better than the other. No one's superior, no one's inferior. Men can't mother like a woman can. That's the fact, isn't it? Women can't father like a man can. Sometimes men need to take on motherly instincts in certain situations. Women do. Single parenting situations, there's a place for that. Absolutely. Sometimes you have to kind of do the dad of the household as well as the mum of the household, or whatever it might be. But ultimately, the way God has wired us and made us, men can't mother like a woman and women can't father like a man and so whether that's physical or spiritual parenting whether that's in the home whether it's in the church we all have different roles sometimes but none of that diminishes our equal worth and God's purposes for us it's simply another way of celebrating the diversity that he's given us as his redeemed humanity does that make sense so Paul Paul stops there he just he just gives three pairs he could have carried on few more just to finish some examples. Uh, Paul may have talked about there is neither young nor old. In our, in our culture these days, older folk can get easily written off. Oh, what do they know? They're past it. They're, they're not in touch anymore. Or vice versa. These kids don't know what they're talking about. It goes both ways. We need to learn to listen to each other because simply because we have different uses of language, uh, we have different mindsets, we have different primary values, some generations are more liberal than others. Some generations are more conservative than others. Doesn't mean one's right or wrong. Doesn't mean one's inferior or superior. We just need to simply listen to each other and we need to learn 
together in love and in respect and recognise our shared worth and our standing. We need to value one another, regardless of our age or generation. Paul might have said, there is neither able-bodied nor less able-bodied. Um, when it comes to your physical ability, that should not affect your, your worth. Uh, that Jesus loves you and values you just as much as the next person, and we need to value each other just as much, regardless of what people's abilities are. There's no superior or inferior. We need to not ignore people. We need to be consciously on the lookout that we're not accidentally ignoring people because of abilities. We need to do this. One more, Paul might have said there is neither right wing nor left wing. Political stances, right wing or left wing, neither of those is more or less Christian. Just putting it out there. I think it's brilliant, I think it's brilliant that we, we vote across the spectrum. God uses that to his advantages. He knows who he needs in power at any given time and he sorts that out, even in a democracy. It's not on us. He still puts people in place. And we have different ways in which we process how we vote and where our allegiances are but Christians shouldn't be on one side or the other all the time, we shouldn't even be partisan we should really be floating voters and if that means you tend to vote one way more than the other each time, great but actually red or blue isn't more Christian or less Christian than the other it's different, none of those actually represent God's kingdom and both of them have great flavours of that and both of them are anti it and we need to appreciate that and weigh prayerfully how we vote each time does that make sense oh, is something just broken we'll find out whatever whatever of any of these pairings we're looking at we could go on as well you are equally loved you are equally valuable and we need to recognize that each other of us is too we need to look at each other through the same lens because john chapter 13 verse 35 jesus said by this all people will know that you are my disciples by the way, you all look and act the same. doesn't say that. By the fact that you have love for one another. That's how people will know you're my people, my disciples. And therefore, so what can we do to grow in this? How can we walk honourably together before the Lord? A few practical things uh, just before I finish. I'm aware of time. Uh, one anothering, David talks about learning to serve one another, deciding to like, roll up your sleeves, you know, wash each other's feet effectively, or actually do that. That's not a bad thing. But doing... Serving one another broadens our outlook. We understand, we see people through a different perspective, through different lenses. It challenges our perceptions as we come alongside people. We start to hear different points of view. It challenges our prejudices. It's like, I didn't realise that was your story. I've been making assumptions about you, and so on. Start to one another people. Um, hospitality as well. You're talking to people who aren't like you on a Sunday. Do you always veer for the same people to talk to? Or do you hunt out people who aren't like you? Small groups as well. Who is that person that you immediately sense, I could go and have a chat with them, break the ice, never spoken to before. Nah. Who's that person? Who's that person you could come alongside and break the ice with? Pray for people you wouldn't normally pray for. We often pray for the people we think about and care about the most, those are on our radar. It's good to do. Maybe there's other people you don't normally pray for that you should. And get to know them and ask them how you can pray for them. Hospitality, like I say, as John was talking about brilliantly last week, in the home on Sundays, it's about opening your heart before you start opening up your home. The second part happens easily after that. Who do you invite into your home? Who do you regularly invite, particular individuals or particular types of people? Why them and not others? Just asking. It's good to have regular friends. Do it. 
Invest in them. I'm not saying don't have someone around more than once. But who do you invite and why? Invite the people who aren't like you around for a meal. We've had all sorts in our house over the years, and it's been brilliant. Seriously, it's releasing and it's invigorating. You learn a lot and you find new, surprising, long-lasting friendships that you may not have discovered. Don't just invite people who are like you. Invite people who aren't. You'll be surprised. Rich Velodas, who I quoted earlier, the New York pastor, he said, the real question of Christian discipleship is not can I be your brother in Christ, but can I be your brother-in-law? That brings it closer to home. It's like, yeah, he can be my brother in Christ. He's over there. Yeah, but if he's married into your family, that's a whole other ballgame of doing life together, isn't it? It's a big question. As I ponder that question, do I discover fellow believers that I struggle to be around, or that I struggle to love? Or is there something, therefore, that I can do to help that? Because it's not always on the other person. Sometimes it starts here. Everyone can teach you someone, something. Everyone has equal worth. Everyone has a story. Everyone has a purpose within God's purposes. Let's discover those together. Look at people through these goggles. One more thing, just the online stuff really helps as well, the bubbles that we end up in. Um, uh, read people you don't agree with. Don't just read books that are going to back up your opinion or your belief. Read people you don't agree with and work out why. You won't get infected by their bad ideas. If you apply a bit of critical thinking, you can learn. Read people you don't agree with. It's really helpful. It gives you a whole other perspective. Listen to them and work out why you don't agree. Ask for help to discern it if you need to. But even online, Facebook, social media and so on, those algorithms create filter bubbles. You may not even realise that even on Facebook, where it's, well, these are my friends that I've, I've chosen and I've chosen to uh, click with on Facebook. It will still show you some of them more than others because what it does... Um, it shows you what, it, what it's worked out you want to see the most to keep you engaged and to keep you on there. But what that does is distance you from people you disagree with. That's a dangerous place to be because you get into your own little echo chamber that reinforces your ideas and your opinions that may not always be right. We need to be challenged sometimes, don't we? Jesus chose 12 disciples from very different backgrounds who would not normally be in relationship. I mean, radically so. They weren't just a bit different. Matthew worked for the government Simon the Zealot hated the government and wanted to take them down. Wildly different ends of the spectrum. Jesus brought them together in him and they learned to live out a life of unity. John chapter 17, verse 21, Jesus prays to the Father. Uh, he say, it says that they, we, may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's his heart, that we are one in him. The deepest core unity amongst us at the deepest level already exists. We can't even begin to create what God himself has done amongst us, uniting us with him together by his blood. That's a given, and that's a miracle. We can't do that, he has. But what we can do is choose to harm or help that, right? So he has a couple of questions to finish before I pray. Is there someone you need to approach and clear the air with explicitly? Is there someone you need to talk to? You need to take someone with you or ask the elders for help. We're happy to help mediate if need be. Is, this, is there some friction you need to deal with? And look at them through a gospel lens and realize who they are in Christ. And is there some, simply someone you need to invite, someone you need to get to know, someone you need to learn from? Do you need to change up who you mix with when it comes to hospitality, Sunday, small groups, etc.? 
You need to break out of the unconscious bubble you may have found yourself in. Let's look at each other through a gospel lens. Let's allow what we share in Christ to eclipse our differences and let's grow together in love for the world to see. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for what you have done in us. Even here in a town with a particular demographic where things can feel a little bit samey sometimes, we are still personality, character, background stories. You're hearing Ben and Sheila's story earlier. It's different to our story. Lord, we thank you that you brought us together as your people, as your family. Lord, we want to live that out loud in unity, in grace, in honour. Lord, we want to bless you. So I just pray, even as we sing in these songs, will you cement in us a fresh understanding that what we share in you should eclipse all our differences so we can celebrate them in a fresh light, live together, love one another for your glory that the world might know that we belong to you. Help us by Holy Spirit to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Over to Josh and Pete, I believe.